Turkey Call All Access, the official podcast of the National Wild Turkey Federation. Brought to you by Nomad. Turkey Call All Access is a digital campfire where we discuss topics of the day, conservation efforts, tips and techniques to better your experience afield, and our members' stories. Welcome back to another episode of the Turkey Call All Access podcast. This week, we're talking about the farm bill and its importance for conservation. Let's get into it. Hey, y'all, I'm Jason Hart, founder of Nomad Hunting Clothing. At Nomad, we're bringing simplicity and authenticity back to hunting. Whether you hunt to escape your hectic work life, for locally sourced organic meat, or to socialize with friends, to uphold your favorite family traditions, we're with you and we do the same. At Nomad, we understand your gears and investments, so our products are engineered and priced for every hunter, tested in the real world, and designed to last. Hunting is in all of us. Nomad is with you. Bass Pro Shops and the National Wild Turkey Federation stand together to help make a difference for the wildlife and scenic lands that enrich our hunting lifestyle. Since 1973, we have positively impacted more than 22 million acres and invested more than $9 million into wild turkey research, an effort supported by Bass Pro Shops. The restoration of the wild turkey is one of America's greatest conservation success stories, but the work is far from over. Through the continued contributions of partners like Johnny Morris and Bass Pro Shops, the NWTF mission is a movement that is delivering the right conservation work at the right place and at the right scale. Hey guys, this is Aaron with The Hunting Public. Each spring we head to the woods chasing turkeys and one overlooked product that we use religiously is Sawyer permethrin. We've used it for years to keep ticks off of us and it's worked extremely well. We don't like messing around with Lyme disease, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, anything like that. So I would highly recommend if you're a spring turkey hunter spending any time in warmer climates in the outdoors to use Sawyer permethrin. Learn about their advanced insect repellents and family of technical lightweight water filters at Sawyer.com. So welcome back to another episode of the Turkey Call All Access podcast. Um, We're talking about the farm bill today. We've got Mr. Matt Lindler, Jared McJunkin, and Doug Little here. And we're going to get into the details of um, what is the farm bill, why it matters, why it matters for hunters and conservationists and for the wild turkey. Um, And I guess to, to go ahead and just start that off um matt if you could just give us the overview of for people who haven't heard who don't know or maybe they've heard of the farm bill on other podcasts or maybe read some of the articles we put out but just aren't fresh on it what is the farm bill um how did it get started and then you know maybe we can talk a little bit about um why we care why we're involved in it yeah the uh, the farm bill is it's a it's a unique package of bills that's reauthorized about every five years. And the focus is primarily on agriculture, which is why they call it the farm bill. It was um, first introduced in 1935. And there was a lot of things kind of came together, came to a head during that time period. We had, you know, the great depression, we had the dust bowl. Um, So there were a lot of economic and social factors that, that came into play and farmers were suffering, right? Um, a lot of the farming practice leading up to that point were not really considerate of the soil and and things like that, which is one of the reasons why we had um, the Dust Bowl at that time. I mean, drought, it was a prolonged period of drought. Um, 
So all the winds kicked in, winds blew soil from Kansas and Nebraska. And, you know, the, the breadbasket of the United States blew it all over the United States. The topsoil was, you could see clouds over, you know, Washington, D.C. And when the people, the public can see that type of effect, you know, then they start asking questions. They start prompting their legislators to do something about it. And, you know, it was a stark reminder that, you know, we've got to take care of this land, even though we're trying to feed our public, we're trying to, you know, our population, we have to take care of the land too at the same time. So that when they brought forward the farm bill, they had scientists, soil scientists, um, they had uh, folks from um, the weather community, the uh, weather science folks, meteorologists, that type of thing. They had um, obviously legislators, they had farmers, they had, you know, agricultural specialists, all of them came together to work on this massive bill that ultimately became the farm bill. Um, and conservation was a big, big part of that right from the very beginning with um, soil protection in particular there in 1935. So conservation has been a component of the farm bill since its start. There, there were bills prior to that that addressed agricultural needs um, and helped farmers to do the work that they do to feed the country. Um, but this was the first time that they really focused on the holistic view of farming and its impact on, on the environment and, and how can they do something to, to create a, a, a more uh, conservation-minded process um, while still feeding the public. So Farm Bill. Um, like I said, it's it's authorized about every five years. I mean, there's some times when it's been gone a little longer, some times when it's reauthorized a little sooner. Um, this upcoming one's probably going to go a little longer. We're up for renew renewal now. Um, it, the Farm Bill funding actually for the 2018 Farm Bill expired um, in October. Um, so there's is currently operating on a continuing resolution that allows um, the, the government to still fund the programs that are part of the Farm Bill uh, until there's a, a full Farm Bill passed through Congress. Both sides right now are working diligently, uh, the Senate and uh, the House, uh, to come up with their, you know, versions of the Farm Bill that 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 meets the needs of their constituents um, and the country. So they're working very hard. We hope to have something by, if not by the end of the year, um, at least by maybe March or another continuing resolution that'll push it to a little farther date um, so that those programs are still funded. Um, but why are we involved? Why do we care? Um, well, <laughs> it's, conservation is, is a big thing and a and big part of um, the, the work that goes into the Farm Bill, although, excuse me, a big part of the, the programs that come out of the Farm Bill um, impact our mission mission directly. Even though the conservation and forestry title make up less than say 2% of the entire expenditures of the of the farm bill, um, the concert this is still the largest conservation package to go through Congress every five years. I mean it's it's massive. It impacts public lands, it impacts private lands. Um, so it's very important to us because you know our turkeys don't know what boundaries are, right? They they go across public lands to private lands. They roost in trees every night. So the forestry title is very important to us. Um, but 
Yeah, that's why we're engaged. We we work very diligently every year. Uh, every time that there's a, a a farm bill coming up for for renewal, uh, we're engaged helping to come up with ideas um, to improve the programs that that exist. Um, so we we've, we've been doing that as well. Any uh, any other questions there? Um, do you? I don't know. Do, Jared, Doug, do you have anything, any other details you want to add? Things you feel like are are important to talk about um, just from like an overview perspective before we kind of dive into some of the programs? Well, I guess one thing I would say, uh, Gilbert, is when I when I think of the Farm Bill and, and Matt kind of hit on it is how robust it is. And, and, and then when you kind of dive down into the conservation title and the forestry title, it, it's robust in there, too. There's a lot of programs under that umbrella um, that address a lot of different uh, things out on the landscape, soil, water, animal, plants, and air. And, and so I think back to to when I first started learning about Farm Bill, you know, trying to figure out how it impacted wildlife. And as Matt said, when you kind of start looking, it's like, wow, it's it's putting a lot of money out there on the ground to help those those producers, you know, manage their property better, uh, deal with livestock waste better. To, to help the overall environment, water quality, and all those things. So it is a very robust program, but as as Matt said, it really hit, hits home with the, the heart of our mission and doing conservation work out on the landscape. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the only thing I, that I would add, Gilbert, is um, just that it, it's, you know, the, the name may make people feel like, okay, well, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a dairy farmer. I'm not a, I'm not a beef rancher, you know, and, and so it, it, there may not be anything for me, but the reality is, you know, there's a lot of, landowners that that own you know 100 acres of solid forest land and 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 there are things in there for you um there are opportunities for for those land those forest landowners to receive some advice um and and sometimes sometimes all you need is advice and sometimes maybe you need advice and some funding to help you know get you through what's what's in the um suggestions that you're provided and you know so there are opportunities beyond um you know just you know, those folks that would consider themselves in the ag community and, and those folks that are, are, are forest landowners can be helped through it as well. Hmm. I guess that's a great um, transition into into the programs. And maybe we can talk specifically about like, what are some of the things um, that are in the farm bill that directly benefit um, conservation? Um, and I, you know, we'll open that up to, to anybody if you guys want to, take one or two a piece or I don't, I don't know how, how we want to do it, but um, I guess I can let Matt kind of start us off on that. Well, I, I think it's important to point out, um, you know, to our listeners that the conservation piece, wildlife especially was brought up to a co-equal status with soil and water conservation back in the 2008 farm bill, I believe. Um, so currently the focus of the conservation programs is soil, water, and wildlife. So they're co-equal. They have the same amount of impact. Um, and so the, the goals of the farm bill have to um, all point to those three pillars. And we, uh, so wildlife is very key to that. And, um, you know, our, our members take advantage of the farm bill programs that Jared and, and Doug are going to talk about. Um, in the Southeast, especially, there's a, there's a lot of folks that participate. And I know that in the in Midwest, they, they are too. 
Um, so the Farm Bill is important to our members. It's uh, important to the wild turkey and, and other wildlife species. Um, so we'll we'll get into those programs a little bit now, I guess. Jared and, and Doug, I'll let y'all decide who's going to talk first. Well, I'll go first, Doug, so I can take a couple easy ones, and then you can you can build on to it. Um, you know, I when I think of the Farm Bill, I think especially those that hunt, they've heard of the Conservation Reserve Program or CRP for short. Uh, if you've come out in the West, certainly uh, in the in the breadbasket, as Matt mentioned, you're walking through that tall grass and you're you're you know rooster pheasants and and quail, and so you, you might be very familiar with some of that and. One of the cool things that I think back and, and Matt said 2008, the Farm Bill, you know, wildlife kind of had that co-equal status. When you think of CRP, it literally was a program that was absolutely targeting soil erosion. And it was to to put permanent cover out there on the landscape. And that differs a little bit in Doug's area. He'll talk about some forested CRP out here in this part of the world. It's, it's or some forested, but it's much more grass. And but over the years, that has evolved to also be beneficial to wildlife. And so things came along with the program within CRP, and we'll refer to it as mid-contract management, where that producer goes in and, and disturbs that habitat at some point. And that may be fire, that may be, you know, grazing hanging. There's different ways that they can do that. So I think that makes that program a little bit more beneficial. And then the other one is EQIP, which has evolved over the years, and that's the Envir Environmental Quality Incentive Program. And Back when I started, I started as a private lands biologist writing plans, and it was under an old program called WIP, which is the Wildlife Habitat Improvement Program, but it evolved into EQIP. And EQIP was a more robust program that had a little bit larger sideboards and a little bit better funding. And so that program has evolved over time, too, and there's a lot of really good uh, opportunities to do forestry work out on the landscape. And, you know, we have foresters across the country, and one of the primary programs they utilize is, is EQIP for those producers to get out there and, and do timber stand improvement and do tree plantings. There's just a lot of things they can do, brush removal in some of our grasslands that we're trying to keep more intact. So those are the two that really float to the top of my mind and I see probably put on the ground more than more than others. And again, they have pretty robust funding too. Yeah, that Jared, and I'll, I'll add to that a little bit um, in just keeping on the CRP train. Um, you know, you mentioned the, um, you know, the forested CRP acres, and that has definitely helped. I think when I think of forested CRP, I mean, there's a lot of areas where that's a valuable tool for landowners and, and from a wildlife standpoint um, as well. But, um, you know, I think about the the forest connectivity issues, um, particularly in the in the Delta regions of you know Arkansas, Mississippi, you know for example, and and how that program has helped um, connect some some dots in terms of the forested patches that are still available um, on the landscape, and how landowners have been able to utilize that program and establish um, cover where where it previously wasn't on marginal farm farmland that was set aside um, for the program, and and that's gone a long way. And when you combine that with you know, some of the easement programs that are authorized under the Farm Bill, like, you know, the um, ASAP, you know, WRE, Wetland Reserve um, type programs. You know, everybody knows historically the name Wetland Reserve Program. And although that's those names have evolved um, as new farm bills have been authorized, um, you know, just kind of in keeping with the name that folks may be more familiar with um, those easements that that are, you know, 10, 30 permanent um, easements of, of conserved land. Um, those those two um, opportunities in particular come to mind when I think about um, forest connectivity issues, you know, in in allowing, you know, those those movements of wildlife, whether it's turkeys or deer or non-game species, um, having that ability to um, move uh, around in the landscape 
um, that had previously been just, um, you know, wide swaths of ag land that maybe wouldn't have been um, traversable by, by critters um, without those um, opportunities. So that has gone a long way. And I know, um, you know, we're, we're heavily involved with um, delivering some of that work, um, you know, especially in the Arkansas Delta. I think of the partnerships we have there where um, we have a forester that's that um, Sid that's helping out NRCS and our state agency with delivering um, some some of that easement work and providing recommendations to landowners. And, and we're really trying to expand um, and, and increase, uh, you know, the, the forest connectivity, um, you know, in, the, in that region. And it's it's gone a long way. I mean, you know, getting getting photos of of wild turkeys from from these landowners in these areas, which maybe we used to think, you know, traditionally, if you're not from the area, you might have thought, you know, oh, there's, you know, Arkansas and Mississippi, they're turkey rich, and but there's pockets of those delta regions where it's 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 hard to find them because you know the the landscape is has changed so much and the habitat, you know, historically, um, you know, it just it it, it just wasn't there. So we're we're helping these agencies and our partners. Um, and the private landowners um, build that cover um, that's going to help expand um, their range in those regions. So um, that they've been they've been extremely helpful for the landowners, for us, for the agencies, for the critters. Um, and those are just a couple. And, and like Jared mentioned, you have you know you have the Equip program um, that you know we do a lot of uh, our staff and, and our partners help private landowners a lot and NRCS with capacity with delivering that assistance for landowners to let them know what programs are out there um, to help improve their forest lands. And it's been a, it's been a huge benefit, um, you know, from, from a wild turkey standpoint, because, you know, they're, they're getting so much more habitat on the ground, whether it's young forest nesting habitat, whether it's, you know, advice for landowners that are interested in better managing their pine stands, um, you know, we're creating nesting cover, broodering habitat, increasing the amount of forage that's on the ground in the fall and winter. Um, the full annual life cycle needs of turkeys you can find through programs and practices, you know, in, in, in the farm bill. It's, it's pretty amazing. And I guess um, some, some follow-up questions. I know we talked a little bit about CRP. Um, could you guys just define that again for people who maybe don't know, haven't heard of that, um, what that is, um, and also... Um, well, shoot, my other question just left my brain. So I guess we'll talk about CRP. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't want to peel back the onion too much when I was talking about it, just kind of from a broad perspective, Gilbert. But the probably the important thing for folks to know about CRP is there's a couple different trains. There's general sign-up CRP, which has an acreage cap at the national level. There's continuous sign-up CRP where they could walk in any day into their office and, and um, you know, sign up for those programs. The, the general sign up CRP is more of that 15, 20 year contract that you see out in the landscape with, with forested or the, the, the tall grass uh, out in this part of the world, native grass. And so, you know, if you're thinking about going into that long-term program, there's a little bit more um, kind of maybe upfront work to get and, and catch that general sign up. But that continuous is something that you can go in there. And I think this is a great segue to talk about, a CRP program, a continuous CRP program. Uh, some people call them filter strips, but they're grass, you know, grass edges around fields, especially along riparian corridors, so rivers, creeks, and streams. That that program is designed for water quality. It's designed to keep, you know, herbicides and pesticides and, and field soil from eroding off into that river or creek or stream. But if you've ever hunted those, I mean, the critters love them. Uh, that, like as Doug said, for turkeys, their nesting habitat, their brood rearing habitat. I killed my first deer in one of those because the deer would get really comfortable at 
you know, they'd come out and they'd bed right there, the field's right there. And if they get spooked, the, the timber's right there. And so those are great transitional habitats. And that's a program really with the primary focus was, was really not on wildlife, but um, it, it evolved into a program and it provides a lot of benefit. So, so yeah, I think, you know, the, the, the CRP program is administered by the Farm Service Agency. Um, but you can also, it, in our, the NRCS, the Natural Resource Conservation Service, is heavily involved in that program as well. And so those are the office, offices you need to go talk to if you're interested in those programs. And is there connectivity like, um, do some of those CRP areas offer public hunting or is it primarily just um, habitat focused? It's not a requirement uh, for those producers to provide public access, but I will say a lot of the programs or a lot of the folks in those programs have opened up their, their land through you know, the public access, typically through a state-sponsored access program, like here in Kansas, it's the walk-in hunting area program, and Nebraska, it's open fields and waters. A lot of those producers will put those into those uh, into those programs because they don't have cattle out there. Some of them don't even have fences. You know, it's just, it's a grass field, and they provide some public access. And so, yeah, it's not a requirement, but uh, it, I do see a lot of that type of lands enrolled in those programs also being enrolled in access programs. I don't know if that's the same in your part of the world, Doug. Yeah, same. And and I'm glad you asked that question because, you know, when, when, you know, I've been out with landowners, you know, new to the idea of working, you know, with an agency partner and, and, and working through us to, you know, obtain some assistance with these programs. Um, that's sometimes one of their first questions is, Hey, do I have to open up access? You know, I've seen, I've seen these, you know, wetland reserve signs. Um, does that mean it's open? You know, is it a demonstration area? You know, do I have to have, have to have this, um, open as public access? Is it going to be online as, as something that, you know, people can go visit? And the answer is no, you, you still maintain all that authority you have as a, as a landowner, you maintain those rights. And, um, you know, that's whether you provide permission or not, um, it, it, it's, it's totally up to you still. And, and like Jared said, there are some, some programs that, um, you know, maybe they could, they could receive some help, um, you know, when it comes to the access, but that's separate. Um, that, that's not, it's not you must do this in order to be to be enrolled um, type of thing. So that's that's a good point. I'm really glad you asked that. Yeah, was um, I guess, Matt, is there um, as far as programs, whatnot, like kind of on that general topic, is there anything you wanted to add? Yeah, the the VPA HIP program or the Voluntary Public Access Habitat Incentive Program encourage um, was it's a state-led program. States apply for grants. Um, they're awarded grants to to for specific types of agreements with landowners. Um, so, it, like for instance, in South Carolina, um, the DNR leases dove fields uh, from private landowners. That's that's the grant that they got. That's what they do. So they pay the landowners um, a rental rate for leasing that uh, that acreage. Um, but they can also um, provide assistance in creating better habitat on that um, acreage. So there's an incentive for the landowner to to do um, the conservation work to to help elevate the the quality of the habitat on that land that's being opened up for public access. Um, so VPA HIP can use any of these programs, right? The landowners can access any of these programs that are within the farm bill. Um, specific to their region, if they need to, but it's it's um, but it's not a necessarily a 
if then, you know, so different states have different agreements. So they can, some of them just are providing good habitat because they need good habitat on adjacent property or game on adjacent property or something like that, that may be state owned or, or involved, engaged in um, another lease program. So um, access is, is a really important part of the Farm Bill um, and the VPA Hill program is one way the states can, can do that. Hey y'all, I'm Jason Hart, founder of Nomad Hunting Clothing. At Nomad, we're bringing simplicity and authenticity back to hunting. Whether you hunt to escape your hectic work life, for locally sourced organic meat, or to socialize with friends, to uphold your favorite family traditions, we're with you and we do the same. At Nomad, we understand your gears and investments, so our products are engineered and priced for every hunter, tested in the real world, and designed to last. Hunting is in all of us. Nomad is with you. Bass Pro Shops and the National Wild Turkey Federation stand together to help make a difference for the wildlife and scenic lands that enrich our hunting lifestyle. Since 1973, we have positively impacted more than 22 million acres and invested more than $9 million into wild turkey research, an effort supported by Bass Pro Shops. The restoration of the wild turkey is one of America's greatest conservation success stories, but the work is far from over. Through the continued contributions of partners like Johnny Morris and Bass Pro Shops, the NWTF mission is a movement that is delivering the right conservation work at the right place and at the right scale. Hey guys, this is Aaron with The Hunting Public. Each spring we head to the woods chasing turkeys and one overlooked product that we use religiously is Sawyer permethrin. We've used it for years to keep ticks off of us and it's worked extremely well. We don't like messing around with Lyme disease, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, anything like that. So I would highly recommend if you're a spring turkey hunter spending any time in warmer climates in the outdoors to use Sawyer permethrin. Learn about their advanced insect repellents and family of technical lightweight water filters at Sawyer.com. Another follow-up question, um, you know, from like a, the, the hunter's perspective, like, um, non-landowner perspective, um, if they, if someone is looking, um, maybe they live in a state that has like a low percentage of public access and they want to see, um, where those kind of areas are, like, first of all, how do they find them? But also second of all, um, I thought maybe it would be good to touch on um, kind of some of those uh, expectations of like, if you're a hunter going into one of these areas that a private landowner has opened to the public, like what are things that you should be doing um, to keep that place open to treat it respectfully um, so that you don't have, cause I've heard stories, you know, from landowners who have said like, yeah, I used to have this parcel open to public people came and trashed it. Um, you know, what are the, as, as far as like, what are the responsibilities? Some of the things, I don't know if there's things that maybe we wouldn't assume that just going in that people know that maybe they need to know when interacting with those kind of areas. Well, I mean, having respect for, for the property that you're hunting, it should be, you know, one of the things you think about every time you go into a public access area, I mean, it's, it takes a lot of work, it takes a lot of money for the states to, to maintain those properties um, so that you can go in and enjoy them recreationally. Um, the same should be said for those areas of private land that are open for public hunting as well. Um, there are certain states like Maine, for instance, where if it's not posted, it's public hunting. So 
you know, if it's not posted by the landowner is no trespassing, then you can hunt that land. Um, and the states will, especially the, the programs that they are engaged in, you know, their public lands, you know, their wildlife management areas, public hunting areas, uh, refuges, things like that, that are part of their overall uh, public hunting scheme. Uh, they have maps for that. You know, they, they have maps that show you where those, those parcels are. Um, and individually, uh, they may have a map of that particular parcel um, that you can do that. And of course, you know, Onyx Hunt, on, Onyx is, is a, a great program to be able to access um, those particular pieces of property as well, because it does show those, those boundaries. Um, Jared, Doug, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I was just going to say, Matt, um, agreed. I, th I think at, th at this day and age with the technology, you know, if there's, um, you know, if a state agency has, you know, cooperate or landowner type program where private land access is, you know, kind of aided by the, by the, by a state agency, whether they received, you know, farm bill assistance through BPA HIP or not, you know, it, it check the state agency website, um, first and foremost. And, and with, you, you can always connect the dots between the maps that are available on the agency website and the apps that are available for your, for your phone. Um, and, and you'll be in good shape and, and really, you know, what, what I find when I, when I'm looking into those, um, opportunities for private access, uh, private land access through public, um, agency programs is, um, what are the details? You know, don't, don't just look at the map real quick and, and, and just show up. Cause if you look at, if you really read, you know, each one is individual, um, and, and they'll have certain areas where they want you to park certain, um, you know, sometimes the gate. Um, you, you know, you might get access to the gate, you know, there's, they want you to lock the gate behind you, that kind of stuff. Pay, pay attention to those details, certain days, certain times, you know, to, to avoid. Um, and just in general, um, you know, I, I hear sometimes a, a lot of, you know, folks, and this is just a general comment, we're not tied to farm bill access necessarily, but just from a, um, you, you know, sometimes landowners can do you a favor if they tell you no, right? Because they've already have family and friends and, and neighbors that already access the property. and um, you know, but, it, it, you know, if you take it well um, and, and you, you know, you're still appreciative of the interaction and, and um, you know, sometimes you never know what could change. Right. The next year, maybe maybe the maybe the family members that used to hunt there have moved or they stopped or, or whatever. Um, and all of a sudden, um, you know, you stay in those good graces and, and all of a sudden you have an opportunity. So um, you never know how things can change um, if at first told no, um, you know, just maintain those relationships and help out on the property and offer some time and, and you know, just be able to help with fences and gates and do this and do that and posted signs and um, whatever the case may be in the off season. You never know what kind of um, opportunities you'll have when the season rolls around the next time. Yeah, I can give you a I can build on it a little bit, Gilbert, and maybe give you my perspective from a previous career of signing those properties up and maintaining the fences or, main, you know, the signage and stuff. I can tell you, without a shadow of a doubt, the number one reason people left that program, that walk-in program, was because somebody trashed the place, somebody left the gate open and the cows got out. They, you know, decided to park wherever they wanted and not in designated parking areas. And so, honestly, as hunters, um, and both, both Doug and, and Matt hit on it, you know, we just, we got to respect the land. We got to respect the landowner and we, we leave it how we found it. We got to police our own ranks. You know, if you're out walking around and you find trash, even if it's not yours, throw it in your bag, take it out. Uh, Cause it doesn't really matter to the landowner who it came from. And, and the, the other part of that too, is I will tell you a lot of landowners that uh, would sign up, talk to their neighbor that I signed up the year before and they didn't have any issues. And so when, 
just just keep that in mind. Those landowners talk a lot about how great this program is. And man, I haven't had any trash and they've been really respectful of my property and that might get more access in the future. So I think that's something to keep in mind. And and again, both both Matt and Doug hit this, but the technology is out there. Almost all the state wildlife agencies have those properties on a, a GIS viewer on their websites. But if not, you know, I know Onyx, you can download all the Weehaw properties in Kansas. Like, you know, Nebraska, I think, has something similar. So a lot of that is readily available. But Doug hit a really good point. They're not all open for all seasons. You know, make sure you check the sign. Make sure you check what's on the app. Then some of them now, like in Kansas, they have a what they call an iWeha program, and those are limited access. And so you have to actually go in and and register to use that property. And then there's others that use controlled access. And so back to the farm bill kind of side of it, Matt hit at that VPA hip. A lot of these state wildlife agencies are are applying for those grants, and they're using that to augment their existing program. So it's it's really important to get those additional acres of access for hunters. All right. So um, you know, speaking of of landowners. Uh, and, and these programs, if somebody is a landowner, they want to see um, how they can take advantage of farm bill programs. Where do they start? What's available to them? Yeah, I think that's one of the other important things about the farm bill is that it provides funding for technical assistance. And that technical assistance for a private landowner can come or producer could come from a lot of different places. Obviously, the NRCS themselves, they have soil conservationists, they have um, wetland engineers, they have uh, rangeland specialists, they have a slew of their own folks. But then we have a lot of these partner positions, and it's another area where the, the NWTF has really come alongside our partner at, at the NRCS and provided capacity in those really key areas where it's needed. And so we have a national forestry initiative, which I think we're upwards of 30 staff, Doug, um, positions, and those are foresters placed all across the country. And so when a landowner or producer walks into an office and says, hey, I've got this 80 acres and there's 40 acres of timber at the back and I don't know what to do with it, you know, often they're going to plug them into our, our forester or our shared forester in that office. And so then we have some other positions, too, that are not necessarily through that initiative, but are cooperative positions. And so I'll give you a couple examples just from the central region, the area that I cover. We have two forester. We have a forester in Missouri that is funded in part by the Missouri Department of Conservation, so the State Wildlife Agency, as well as the NRCS. And then we have an, a biologist that works with the NRCS as well as the U.S. Forest Service. And so um, they're, they're available for those landowners when they come in. And, and that technical system, they, I think it's important to point out, it doesn't mean that you have to apply for funding for EQIP or CRP or any of these other things. It, you, you just get that technical assistance. Hey, how do, what do I do to that 40 acres? And so maybe a forester comes and shows you Hey, you know, here's some little things you can do. You can do some hack and squirt on your own. You can do some little chainsaw thinning on your own in the winter. And you don't necessarily need to apply for a program, but the programs are out there and they're really good. And you get that technical assistance. And then if you need the funding that, to actually get the work done, that's where it really meshes together. And that's to me is why the farm bill is so important uh, to, 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 to give the technical assistance and then the financial assistance when it's needed. I'll, I'll add to that, um, that, uh, for for people who haven't interacted with our foresters, um, they're legitimately like very knowledgeable, very kind, very like ready to to help. Um, I've had had some interactions with um, the foresters in in my home state, um, and just got to see them work with with people and some of the programs they develop. Um, you know, whether it's like the Woodland Wednesday stuff in Missouri. Um, that uh, one of our forcers will does um, there's a, it's, it's just great. Like they're great people. And 
like anybody who has like hesitation about talking with um, them, it's like, they're not, they're not intimidating. They're not going to come and and like be like, Oh, how, why aren't you doing X, Y, Z? Like they're, they're there to, to help. And they're, they're super awesome. Yeah, I would agree. Um, And I think they're, they're there to help you. Ultimately their goal is to help you meet your objectives. And Gilbert, you may want you, maybe you're a whitetail hunter. And you're like, how do I manage this 80 acres for whitetail? And somebody else may walk in and say, hey, I'm a, I'm a turkey hunter. All I want is turkeys. Yeah, whitetail's good too. And so they can develop and how to treat that forest. And, you know, it's free. It's free advice. I mean, it's not free. It's being funded through, you know, the Farm Bill and partners like us. But it's to that landowner, that consultation is, is available to them. So I strongly encourage folks to get. The other thing I like about, uh, and again, this is my old, old career kind of working in private lands, is lots of times you can get a forester out there get a biologist out there, you can get a range conservationist out there and you can get this really holistic plan and you don't have to piecemeal and go to different places. It's kind of a one-stop shop, but the farm bill provides a lot of funding for that technical assistance. And then again, that financial assistance. No, spot on. And, and, and I'll just add, I mean, you, you're right. They're, they're true professionals and, and they, they absolutely just, they just want to help. Um, you know, they, they're, 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 um, they, they want to be out. They want to help landowners. Um, and, and they also are, are, you know, situationally aware too, right? So we we talked about deer, and, and and we know that we're getting into that that time where everybody wants to be in the woods, and and, and the deer are starting to chase, and all that good stuff. And um, you know, just because you call and you ask, you know, hey, can you know, I'm I'm interested in this program. Again, going back to the access question, that doesn't mean that you're opening yourselves up for for you know organizational representatives or agency representatives just stopping in whenever they want. You're going to have full um, ability to you know control that schedule, and and they want you there. Uh, so, hey, if you're tied up hunting, more than likely they, they you know, they they want to be too. So, so you're not going to just have somebody pop in when you want to be in the woods and, and, and expect to be able to do their thing. Um, so, so I, I just want to make, I, I want to, you know, rest assured that that's that's the case. Um, and, you know, the, they they can tailor, like Jared was alluding to, they, they can tailor their their recommendations to your goals. That's going to be one of the first questions they ask. Like, what do you want from your property? You know, you're not going to have a forester or a biologist come and force feed uh, recommendations that don't, you know, meet your goals. Um, they may they may say, hey, for the resource perspective, this is what I would do. But, you know, for your goals, um, this is you know, this is this is where you might want to consider, um, you know, so they're 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 fully uh, aware of that process and, and they want to make sure that the recommendations you know fit what you want. Um, and, and, you know, there's programs out there that might be tied to, to, you know, others, other species, uh, that our staff and, and partner staff can, you know, connect those dots, you know, just, just because something was, um, you know, the, in the Northeast, for example, you, you may see some of the programs being billed as a program to help New England cottontails. Well, the reality is if you create good New England cottontail territory, you know, considering we're, we're in deer season, right? Guess what that is? It's completely um, great, you know, deer sanctuary type cover, you know, thick, nasty, don't want to walk through it type cover. And, you know, the perimeters of those, those types of covers are going to be great for turkey nesting habitat. Hmm. Um, and it's going to be adjacent to brood habitat as well, um, more than likely. So, you know, our staff can connect those dots for you as well. Don't, don't think that, you know, Hey, I'm not a, I'm not a new England cottontail person. That, that doesn't matter. Um, well, you know, you might become one really quick once you learn more about the critter. Um, but you're going to get that type of habitat that you want, um, even though it might be um, billed as something for another species. 
Mm-hmm. I just wanted to build mm-hmm. real quick on what Doug said. Actually, I just want to drive that point home. The landowner is always still in complete control. Yep. You, you, our, our staff or our partner staff or NRCS staff will make recommendations. They'll talk about programmatic guidelines that you want to be in certain programs. But ultimately, that decision is always going to lie with that private landowner, even even to the point of like Doug's talking about when we're going to come onto my property and talk about it. Um, it's, it's not. So I, I just I throw that out there because just to kind of reduce that myth. Nothing changes in that regard. And so the, our staff and the, those partner staff, they're out there to, to help meet your objectives. And so for a forest, your objective might not just be turkeys or deer. It might be, and I want merchantable timber for my grandkids to cut. Well, they can they can help you with that. And so again, it's, it's out there. There's just no reason to not go out there and, and get that technical assistance. And, and keep in mind too that in, in the southeast, especially where you know leasing land, hunting land is is very popular, and and that's really the only way you can get to private land if you don't own it um, is to lease it. But you know you don't own that land, but you can talk to the landowner um, and encourage them to enroll in certain programs or to get the technical assistance out there and and kind of walk them through through the process of doing that. Um, and our our guys can help them with that too, but. Just keep that in mind. Even if you don't own the land, you know, talk to the landowner. If you hunt it and you think that it could benefit from, from a program, um, at least have them look into it. Yeah, and I'll, I'll touch on, uh, build on that a little bit too, Matt, in, in that sometimes folks think, well, okay, I'm not a private landowner. I'm not an ag landowner. My um, my hunt club or, you know, the fish and game club, or, or maybe there's maybe there's an entity that you're involved in that owns land that you hunt that you're not sure if they might be eligible. Well it doesn't hurt to ask, right? I mean, it doesn't hurt to call, you know, the, the advice could be, um, invaluable. Um, and, and so I would, I would recommend if you're, if you're not sure, but you're interested, never hurts to pick up the phone and, and call. And just to clarify, who are you going to call? Who is it? (laughs) You're going to call the natural resources conservation service. Uh, you go to their website, uh, you call the farm services agency, um, or go to their website and they're the ones the the two agencies that, that administer the majority of the farm bill private lands programs. Cool. And, and something to a, a follow-up question, you know, you mentioned, you know, you're, maybe you have access through a lease or something. Um, what I, I wondered if, if you could give maybe just like, how some specifics on how do you bring that up? Like, what do you say? Um, like, a, you know, you say, Hey, I notice that X, Y, Z thing, like, or do you just say, Hey, did you know that you have these resources? How do you start that conversation? Like practically? Well, speaking from experience, uh, we, we leased a 350 acre, um, spot out in Saluda County for quite a while in South Carolina and for uh, probably 10, 12 years. And while the landowner was primarily focused on uh, merchantable timber, um, it was a pine plantation. Um, he did have some, some great resources there that with a little nurturing could really improve the quality of habitat on that land. Um, so we made some suggestions to him because there were some some um, uh, natural ponds, there were some beaver ponds, et cetera, that would, could qualify for certain programs. Um, there were uh, power line openings, um, rights of way that, that went through the property that could qualify for certain types of programs. 
Um, so we just had the conversation with him while we were out there riding around and we did work for him too. We, you know, we helped, we fixed the fences. We, you know, we would keep the road graded, things like that. So we built a great relationship with him and, and trust. And so that was an opportunity, you know, this was to, Hey, look, Mr. Such and such, if you, if you look at this program, there may be some funding available that would help you improve that and probably increase your, you know, your family's enjoyment of that 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 resource you know the pond be good fishing or or just a good place to go for a picnic you know things like that um so just building trust with the landowner they they learn to to trust you because you're in the woods a lot um you see things and you hear things because you're a member of the national wild turkey federation so yeah and i would add too just thinking not not from a uh, a hunt club perspective but from from a private landowner perspective obviously i've i've spent some time with these programs but educate yourself about the programs and you can do that through our resources like like matt said our website our staff but you know there's a place i used to hunt a fair bit and i as i hunted it i noticed along the edge of this this uh farmer's field the crops always did very poorly the first 30 feet you know very poorly and he happened to have really really uh good soil but it still wasn't performing and so i talked to him have you ever heard of this continuous crp practice because you can actually make more money to put that into this continuous CRP practice. You're not having to dump all those chemicals, you know, you're not having to farm that. It's less work for you. You're putting better wildlife habitat on the ground. You're you're filtering the water better. And you don't have to keep trimming those trees and cutting the overhanging branches to get your tractor through. You know, he eventually got in the program and you know he would be here espousing how great that program is now. And so again, those those are what those programs are for. You know, especially CRP. CRP is really a, to hit that uh, highly erodible and marginal habitat or marginal production areas. And, and, uh, so I think that's, that it's just a conversation and it's all about building trust. Like Matt said, those are great, like great points. Cause you know, anytime you're talking with a landowner, um, to be able to have something where it's not just like, Hey, this would be nice if you added, you know, this stuff so that I would have better hunting, you know, incentive for them. Um, I the guess bo- the bottom line, sorry, Gilbert, I was just say the bottom line is right there. The bottom line is they're, they're interested in their bottom line, mm-hmm. right? they they have a family to feed too. They're trying, uh, to produce food to feed this country. And so wildlife habitat is part of that. And if they can do things if they can change up and make small tweaks to their operation that don't impact that bottom, bottom line, and they can create better wildlife habitat, better water quality, all those things. Uh, most people are very interested in doing that. So again, it's really just about that education component and then helping them understand what programs are available to them. And that's mm-hmm. where the farm bill just comes in big. I guess before we, uh, before we close out, um, Matt, any other thoughts, things yeah. we didn't touch on? Yeah, I think, I think we need to talk about two programs that are part of the farm bill that we haven't really touched on. And, and that's the stewardship authority and the good neighbor authority, because those are very important for the public lands piece of, of the, of our mission, uh, in particular. I don't know if you're familiar, but we have signed a national steward, national master stewardship agreement with the U.S. Forest Service. Uh, it's a 20 year agreement to do work, um, across the country. And a lot of work in the West focused on the wildfire crisis strategy. Um, but we've been doing stewardship contracting on national forest lands for 30 years. Um, you know, we've been partners with the Forest Service much longer than that, over 40 years. But actually doing the work on the ground um, has been um, integral to us meeting our our um, 
delivery of our mission on the ground. Uh, so the, the, that is authorized through uh, the Farm Bill, um, the Stewardship Authority. Uh, it's permanently authorized, but they do tweak it from time to time to, to add, you know, some some language that assists in the in the stewardship agreement um, implementation. And the Good Neighbor Authority is also very important. That's where states, counties, and tribes can partner with the federal uh, agencies and federal uh, U.S. Forest Service to do work on federal land and on adjoining um, county, tribal, or state lands as well. Um, so those are two ways that that you know partnerships are working to to really do a lot of good things on on our federal public lands. Yeah, I'll just I'll just say yeah, this, the the stewardship authority is 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 really important for us. Um, we've we've got a number of agreements you know across the east in particular that um, you know we work on, and and that that it's really important for folks to understand that you know when when we're involved in these agreements and and when any partners involved with the Forest Service in, in these stewardship agreements, it it really it keeps the money on the forest, right? So so the you know the the timber harvest, the the you know what we we'll call we'll use the language of receipts from the timber harvest, right? So so the 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 money that comes out of those timber harvests stays at the forest to implement what we call service work, right? So there's a plan going in. You know you you, you know we we think we're going to generate X amount of dollars, and so we plan for how much service work, how how much wildlife habitat can we improve with that money? So it, it goes right back on the ground. Um, it's not just going into some treasury. It's going back on the ground to improve wildlife habitat, forest health, water quality, all these things that positively impact our experiences, you know, on those forests. So, um, you know, th- those public benefits are are far reaching. Um, and, and, you know, quite frankly, your, your hunting can be improved in those areas, you know, quite quite a bit um, from the operations that take place. So not just the timber operation, but also, the you know, the, the service work on the other side of it that's um, done with the money. So we're really proud of our efforts and our, and our partnerships tied to that because there's a lot of really great work that's, you know, being done on, on those um, forests through those agreements. So we, we've talked about the, the farm bill. We've talked about some of the, the specific programs that are available to landowners. Um, and I guess uh, kind of as a, as a closing thought, um, how does this tie into our landscape level initiatives? Some of those bigger projects that are that are putting down um, some of those that big scale work um, that we've been been talking a lot about recently. Well, I can jump in first, Doug, and then you can talk a little bit more about Habitat for the Hatch. And certainly, don't want to keep it to our region either. We have the West, and and some of these programs would certainly fit there as well. But when when I think of our landscape scale initiatives, they're big. They're robust. They cover a lot of territory, and obviously, there is a ton of private lands within the the footprint of our initiatives. And so, the Farm Bill is a national level program. It's available to producers, you know, across the country, but specifically within our initiative areas, those programs like Equip and, and CRP, and especially you think about uh, I've talked about continuous CRP, repairing buffers, that ties right into to waterways for wildlife for us, and things that we're going to be trying to do to improve water quality, water quantity all the habitat along those migration corridors for big game and neotropical migrants, all the things that we care about repairing areas. A lot of those repairing areas are dissecting private lands. And so for us to move the needle and actually work to restore and improve the overall health and productivity of repairing corridors, 
we have to have landowners working with us and producers working with us. And so the, the, the farm bill can come right alongside us and say, here's the technical assistance, here's the funding to help get those programs out on the ground implemented. And that's just going to move our initiative at the same time as, as meeting the goals and objectives of the, the Natural Resource Service and the, the farm bill as a whole. Yeah, that's right. And just just to build on that too, you know, thinking about the Southeast and Habitat for the Hatch, a lot of the same. And, you know, I think about, you know, the EQIP program and, and CRP even and, and some of these opportunities that landowners have to create amazing brood habitat within really the same areas as the nesting habitat. You know, you you take some of the programs and practices that are available that can help you manage, a, you know, a long leaf or a short leaf or a mixed pine stand, for example, that can help you thin thin that stand, create, create a more healthy forest stand while creating that savanna environment with a lot of herbaceous, you know, plants in the understory, why, you know, that's open. So it's both, like I said, nesting and brood, brood habitat. And you have a, you know, a, a burn rotation at the right scale at the right um, time that that's going to be impactful in a positive way for turkeys, but also your forest stand health and, and help a lot of critters as well, uh, other than turkeys. Um, it's a, it's a big win and, and it would, uh, really help move the needle for habitat for the hatch at the same time. And, um, you know, turkeys, turkeys need it. And, um, a lot of other critters need it too. And, um, the, the programs are out there and we just would encourage landowners to, um, you know, just, just inquire and, and see where it goes. So Doug, talk a little bit about what a landowner needs to know before they go into one of the agency partner offices to talk about um, the different types of programs that are available to them uh, and they, when they're trying to participate in one of our big initiatives. Sure, sure. Yeah, I think, you know, if, if you're interested in our initiative, sometimes, you know, you might go into an office and, and you know, there's there's a lot of a lot of programs and practices that these agency staff have to manage, right? So, so you might walk into an office and and they may not know specifically about you know Habitat for the Hatch and the details. You know, it's still a new program and 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 we're still getting the word out. Um, it, but if you have in your mind, you know what what we're trying to accomplish through the initiative, what you're trying to accomplish on your property, um, aided by our initiative then um, you'll be more informed. And, you know, if you go in and you have maps and, and you know, you can show exactly where your property is um, and, and talk to the talk to the staff there about your goals um, and they'll, you know, it's it'll take some time. Right. You know, you kind of build that trust uh, amongst each other and, and, you know, they'll start to understand your goals, what you want out of the assistance that you, they may be able to provide. And, um, you know, th that'll help each other connect the dots between the programs that are available and what you want on the ground. So just really knowing what you want um, out of the programs, um, what you want to see on your property on the ground, and let those folks in the office kind of steer you towards the practices and the programs that might be the best fit for you at that time. We can wrap it up there unless there's anything else that we, that we need to hit. No, just, you know, I'd like to point the the you know the listeners to a couple of places where they can go get more information mm -hmm. um you know obviously go to the natural resources conservation services website nrcs.gov um, also uh, the farm services agency that's another uh great resource um but also the the farming for habitat.org website this uh, mm -hmm. a campaign that we're working with other partners across the country to educate uh, the public about the benefits uh, for fish and wildlife within the farm bill. 
So um, those are some great resources. And of course, NWTF.org has some wonderful resources related to Farm Bill and Farm Bill programs and other programs that the landowners may be interested in. I'll add one more place to go to is is often the State Wildlife Agency has private lands conservation staff out there on the landscape and they're going to be uh, they're going to know about these programs. They're going to know about farm bill programs that are available to landowners. They might have their own programs available to private landowners. So definitely they're a great resource as well, as well as state forestry agencies have a lot of resources available. Yeah, and the only thing I would add is is just go and go into our website too. So if you want to arm yourself with a little more information about our initiatives, you know we have a um, an area of our website that's dedicated to that, and you can be more informed um, about you know where you fit in that before you go to uh, seek some advice on how to manage your property as well. All right, gentlemen, I appreciate your time and your expertise, and uh, we'll I'm, I'm sure we'll we'll talk again. And. <laughs> Well, thank you for having us on, Gilbert. Thanks, Gilbert. Yeah, Yeah, thanks, Gilbert. I'm Jason Hart, founder of Nomad Hunting Clothing. At Nomad, we're bringing simplicity and authenticity back to hunting. Whether you hunt to escape your hectic work life, for locally sourced organic meat, or to socialize with friends, to uphold your favorite family traditions, we're with you and we do the same. At Nomad, we understand your gears and investments, so our products are engineered and priced for every hunter, tested in the real world, and designed to last. Hunting is in all of us. Nomad is with you. Bass Pro Shops and the National Wild Turkey Federation stand together to help make a difference for the wildlife and scenic lands that enrich our hunting lifestyle. Since 1973, we have positively impacted more than 22 million acres and invested more than $9 million into wild turkey research, an effort supported by Bass Pro Shops. The restoration of the wild turkey is one of America's greatest conservation success stories, but the work is far from over. Through the continued contributions of partners like Johnny Morris and Bass Pro Shops, the NWTF mission is a movement that is delivering the right conservation work at the right place and at the right scale. Hey guys, this is Aaron with The Hunting Public. Each spring we head to the woods chasing turkeys and one overlooked product that we use religiously is Sawyer permethrin. We've used it for years to keep ticks off of us and it's worked extremely well. We don't like messing around with Lyme disease, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, anything like that. So I would highly recommend if you're a spring turkey hunter spending any time in warmer climates in the outdoors to use Sawyer permethrin. Learn about their advanced insect repellents and family of technical lightweight water filters at Sawyer.com.